Good morning for the Financial Times. Today is Monday, April 4th, and this is your FT News Briefing. The European Union is preparing new sanctions in response to alleged Russian atrocities in Ukraine. China's property sector has a new struggle, keeping its accountants. Plus, French presidential elections start next week, and Emmanuel Macron has a problem. Which is that he's the incumbent, so he's no longer this amazing new fresh blood, uh, you know, somebody who's going to sweep away the old parties, somebody who's going to be a revolutionary. I'm Joanna Gao, in for Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. Reports of Russian atrocities in Ukraine could soon lead to new EU sanctions. The reports are coming from towns on the outskirts of Kyiv, towns that were taken and then abandoned by Russian forces when they retreated. Here's more from Valentina Pop in Brussels. She's editor of our Europe Express newsletter. Even our reporters have reported horrendous uh, sights of bodies of people who seem to have been executed, basically, by the Russian troops. This is the allegation, but it's confirmed by witness accounts. There's even drone footage where, where you can see people trying to flee Kiev in the first days of the occupation, and they were just shot at by Russian tanks. Human Rights Watch, a human rights group that monitors um, abuses in war zones, has just put out a report on Sunday which details all sorts of atrocities, including um, rape and pillaging. What kind of sanctions isn't clear yet? Options include a ban on Russian ships from EU ports, blocking road transport, and squeezing more oligarchs. Valentina says the big elephant in the room is whether to ban Russian oil and gas. So uh, at this point, we have some signaling from some capitals, including Berlin and Rome, that at least they are not opposed to the idea of discussing um, such an embargo. And um, calls have been growing from Poland, from the Baltic states over the past few days and, and are now at that critical juncture where especially Berlin and Rome, so Italy and Germany, have to take a decision whether they can stomach this, this economic hurt that will come with severing ties, uh, energy ties with Russia. Valentina Pop is editor of the FT's Europe Express newsletter. Next week is the first round of voting in the French presidential election. Emmanuel Macron is seeking a second term, but over the weekend, he warned supporters not to assume he would win. To talk more about this, I'm joined by the FT's Paris bureau chief, Victor Mallet. Hi, Victor. Hello. So Macron had this big advantage at the start of the race, but now his key rival, the far-right candidate Marine Le Pen, is only a few points behind in the polls. So how has she managed to catch up? It, originally, her appeal was very much on the issue of immigration, uh, you know, the fear among white working class voters that there were too many Muslim immigrants taking their jobs, uh, causing crime and that kind of thing, a very sort of traditional far right appeal. But she has actually uh, done quite a lot to sort of moderate her party's views. Uh, in, in French, it's called de-diabolisation, that's a sort of detoxifying the party, if you like. Um, so she's kind of uh, cast aside the anti-Semitism of her father, who founded the party, Jean-Marie Le Pen. And she's become, in a way, less toxic from the point of view of, uh, of sort of ordinary right-wing people. So she's beginning to attract votes even from 
are pe- people who would previously have voted centre-right. And also, very importantly, because most of her voter base is working class, she's really focused on the issue of the economy and the cost of living. And I think that's really helped her, especially since with the Ukraine crisis, we've got uh, energy prices going through the roof, petrol prices, diesel prices, and so on. And that's really helped her, that she's focused very much on those issues that are of great importance to the working class. And is Macron addressing these concerns as well, these economic issues that have become higher priorities to French voters? You know, Macron's appeal the first time around and again this time around is, you know, he says, look, I'm neither left nor right. I just want to do what's best for the country. He's very much in the the liberal centre. He's accused by his opponents of perhaps being slightly more leaning to the right, uh, whereas previously he had quite a lot of support from from the left. But he's got a problem, which is that he's the incumbent. So he's no longer this amazing new fresh blood, uh, you know, somebody who's going to sweep away the old parties, somebody who's going to be a revolutionary and do things that have never been done before. He realizes, I think, that he needs to sort of reconnect with the people. So he's taken time out from his diplomacy during the uh, Ukraine war to, to try and, you know, meet voters in places like Dijon in central France. Uh, because he realizes he needs to reconnect with ordinary people. So, Victor, Macron is still ahead in the latest polls, but his lead over Le Pen has been getting narrower, which raises the possibility that Le Pen could be the next French president. It would be a big change, not just for France, but also for the EU, right? I mean, I think the answer is yes. She would be, if you like, the next domino to fall in the sort of wave of populism and nationalism that has swept across the world, including the West, uh, the continental Western Europe is one of the last kind of bastions of of uh, conventional liberal democracy, if you like. Uh, and uh, so if if the government was to change from the Macron administration to one run by Marine Le Pen, it would be very, very substantially different, especially, uh, well, certainly including in foreign policy uh, as regards, she's quite sort of hostile to the EU. She no longer talks about leaving the euro currency, nor about leaving the EU, because those turned out to be not very popular policies in France, uh, but still very nationalistic. And she doesn't want to do things. She doesn't want to make any sacrifices in order to remain a member of the EU. Uh, and she was previously very sympathetic to Putin. And like a lot of the extreme candidates on right and left, she she recommends leaving the military command structure of NATO and so on. So you have a, a quite a, uh, would be a very, very substantial change from a liberal internationalist outlook, pro-European to one that is Eurosceptic and nationalistic and not so inclined to go along with the multilateral Western consensus, whether it's on Russia or China or anything else. That's the FT's Paris bureau chief, Victor Mallet. China's property industry is in the middle of a massive debt crisis. Now, property developers have been delaying the release of their financial results. And as a result, many of their accountants have resigned. Here's more from the FT's Shanghai correspondent, Tom Hale. A lot of Chinese property developers have cited coronavirus outbreaks and restrictions as the main reason for this delay that we're seeing. But the delay is certainly uh, a big problem for anyone who wants to understand what's going on with the crisis, because people had been hoping that the 2021 audited results would cast some light on the true picture of the losses within the Chinese property sector. The accountants include the world's leading firms, known as the Big Four. They've spent decades building up their business in China, but the risks for them have been rising. 
One big four accounting firm, PwC, resigned as auditor of a big developer called Shimao after it couldn't get information on a particular form of financing that Shimao had been using. The simple fact of the matter is it's resigned because it hasn't received the information it asked for and doesn't want to continue with the audit at that point. If if you speak to investors in Chinese property developers, many of whom have lost significant amounts as part of this crisis, those investors are very critical of a lot of companies involved in this sector, including the auditors. I think the core of the matter is that there's a lot of legal risk building for anyone involved in this sector, given defaults. Uh, International investors so far haven't taken legal action, but we've seen in the last two weeks that they have moved much closer to legal action than they ever have before. That's the FT's Shanghai correspondent, Tom Hale. Before we go, here's a reminder on how to get a 50% discount on FT.com. This is a special offer just for FT News Briefing listeners. Just go to FT.com slash briefing sale. Again, that's FT.com slash briefing sale. We've got the link in our show notes. You can read more on all these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Did you know the Capital Ideas podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea? Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc., 